Hey y'all, welcome to The Hue. Hue represents true color, and we're here to tell the true stories of the inspiring folks we encounter along the way. I'm your host, Jessica, and I'm here with our studio director, Emily McNeil, and we're recording these recaps from the Matt Black Sound Studio. Hey guys. Hey Emily, thanks for doing these recaps with me. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I don't know what I would do without you. So we're going to talk a little bit about our interview with Samantha Mabry. We titled this one, Reading a Book by Its Cover. And I had told you about my friend Sam, and I thought that she'd be someone fun to interview. She's not an interior designer. Yeah, she was super cool, though. (laughs) She came in with her amazing hat and her books with their beautiful covers. and, And she was my yoga teacher, so that's how I met her. And she is a young adult author. And when I describe her to people in the kind of books that she writes, I always say through Twilight. I don't know if she loves that, but I feel like it helps people understand because she does write young adult ghost stories. Yeah, it's like the sphere that she's in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, she is kind of her own sphere. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel it's to her own drum for sure. And it was just, it was inspiring to be in her presence. And what I love so much about her is that it's, really cool and I hope the, the listeners will take this from her to see someone living in a space where they're just doing exactly what they have always wanted to do and they're uber successful at it yeah as somebody who like read a ton when I was younger it was really cool to be around like an actual published popular like young adult author I was kind of starstruck what did you think about the covers of the books oh they were beautiful they were really cool kind of like moody and like dark but with bright colors um yeah they were really pretty like pigmented uh-huh and you're an artist so yeah on the scale of one to ten from an artist what would you say what oh you- gosh <laughs> a ten I give her a ten um no they were really cool though yeah yeah and I think it was interesting to learn from her we we sort of wanted to tap into that creative piece of writing but then like how does the cover impact the book and the sale of the book and how it's received and and it's all a little surprising too like the process it wasn't what I expected and the sense that it's a process yeah it's a process and it's not always the author who gets to be in charge of it Mm-hmm. Would you like to write book cover or design book covers? Sure. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Portfolio. <laughs> I totally see this happening. But it was really a great conversation. I do hope that our listeners will enjoy learning about a different creative process because writing is definitely in our sphere. I think we have to write about sometimes what we're going to design to sort of, you know, give it life. And she sort of helped walk us through that process. And then in the fact that she's, you know, a young woman who's living her dream creative life. And that in itself is uber inspiring. Okay. Hi, Sam. Hey, Jess. Welcome to the Hue. Thank you. I'm so glad you came on. I'm so glad you um, thought of me. Well, I th- I thought of you from the beginning of the Hue, actually. <laughs> you know, I always wanted to be your book publisher, or like PR agent yes, or something. Yes, I remember this. You know? Yes. And I was gonna- with a clipboard. At the clipboard, and 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 you said I would be directing the people where to go and have what page to have their book yes open to for the signings, mm-hmm. and then it ends up your first well not your first book signing but the first book signing that I go to for you is at the bookstore on Northwest Highway yes and Palmer's a baby mm-hmm. and it's a fierce and subtle poison yes and you sign Palmer's book about the girl who can breathe death basically yes she's <laughs> full of poison such a cool story it's a children's book. Yeah, it's a, it could be a board book. It could. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam, just for everyone listening, is is a friend of mine from a long time mm-hmm. ago. And we did yoga together. She was my yoga teacher. Right? Yes. Yeah. From like 2007? Yeah. You were writing books then? Or you were teaching? I mean, I think it was around that time that I started. Mm-hmm. Um. Because one of the the type of yoga that we did is called Baptiste yoga. And one of the like our, our teacher would write books and one of his, you know, point wisdom questions or something was, what would you do if you know you could not fail? And immediately I knew that it was write books. It had nothing to do with yoga. Uh-huh. And so I think that was the thing that that started me writing for real. That's cool. But you were also teaching at university. Yes. Um, Yeah, I did not go. um, I was an English major, um, and I did not 
try to do creative writing at that time. Like I didn't take any kind of creative writing classes. At the time I was teaching uh, composition at SMU. Okay. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And then from, okay, so before SMU though, like you always knew you wanted to be an English teacher or like where, how did all this come about? Um, I knew I wanted to be an English major when I learned that that was a thing. Okay. (laughs) And I think that that was in junior high. All right. Because uh, English classes were always my favorite classes, and I, I loved to, to read the and stories or the grammar or like what what piece of it, all of it, all of it. I really liked language. I remember in seventh grade we would do this uh, thing called diagramming sentences, which a lot of my students don't know what that is anymore. Um, where you take apart a sentence by its parts of speech, and you can graph them out. Uh-huh. It almost looks, starts to look like long division, but uh-huh. it's how you break up a sentence. I was just really good at it, and I really liked it. Um, <laughs> and when we're good at something. <laughs> I know. And I also, maybe before that, my dad would, if I got straight A's on my report card, he would buy me a book. That was the that was the present. And it's not like I asked for that. Like he, he that was the only option. That was the only thing that I would get as a reward. Yeah. And so I just always really liked language so much so that I it's probably why I didn't try to do creative writing in college was because I I never thought that I could sort of do what the people that I loved did yeah but you had to have stories in your head though right at that point or I don't know I was just so absorbing other people's stories okay but I know that when I was when I found out that A Fierce and Subtle Poison was getting published which was you know three years plus before I what well, was published. I hadn't really been telling anybody I was writing, except for my husband. So you knew three years before it was published that it was going to be published. As a debut author, I think that's kind of standard, wow. two to three years. Okay. And I told my dad, I'm gonna I wrote a book and it's gonna be published. And he and I'm and he was like, Well, of course you did. Like somehow he <laughs> knew that I was always going to be a writer, um, even if I didn't quite no, yet, yeah. But you had to at some point, you know, have the story in your head. Like, it, it did when it started to come out, did it feel like something that was always there? Or did you, was it this, like, I don't know, creative process that you had learned that you applied? A lot of my stories from, so I've published three, three novels uh-huh. and a few little short stories. But all of my stories come from some other story. Okay. So I haven't yet <laughs> written some original tale, it feels <laughs> like. Um, I've just – yeah, Fierce and Subtle Poison was uh, in the – what I was trying to do was have it be in the magical realist tradition. And so I'd read so much magical realism like Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Isabella Allende and, again, just loved it and kind of understood – what I thought that they were doing with their storytelling and wanted to do that. And then it's also a riff on a short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne called Rappuccini's Daughter, which is about a girl who falls in love with, no, about a boy who falls in love with a girl who's full of poison. And so I was just like, well, how can I mash these together? And so my influences, all the things that I've read are always really front of mind. Okay. And so I get really, um, I'm very impressed and in awe by certain writers who write these really complicated fantasy worlds where they're like making all of these rules and inventing yes. different creatures and, and they're things. hard to follow well because i'm like I, how do you do that yeah it, i yeah yeah i felt that way about harry potter i never got on that bandwagon i was like i need a whole i need a dictionary next to me and i need to like learn this language and i'm not up for oh. it oh yeah did you do that whole series um i was uh, you know, a little we we were a little older. <laughs> we were, yeah. Um, but I had a lot of friends who were reading it. Yes, I did get the seventh book when it came out. Okay. I remember like going to Borders, Borders, and <laughs> getting it on the day it came out and reading it. Like I went to bed. I remember went to bed at like one a.m. and then woke up at like six to finish it. And and so I remember being into it as I was reading it. I read them. Oh, I know. Okay, so yeah, I read them. When I was in graduate school, I had the best job, which was working at an 
over the summer, I was working, working in the library in an exhibit that no one went to. <laughs> yes, perfect. Yes, I know. So you could just read and yes, write. I mean, like, it was a room. It was a time. It was a, a room about as big as the one we're in now. Just is, tiny. And um, there was, a, like, a, again, an exhibit about the founder of the library or who the library was named after and a chair. And I just sat in that chair for, like, six hours with my shift and, and read. And read. Yeah. And learned. Yes. So... Okay, when I remember reading something about your grandmother and like she was superstitious, she washed the money before she would use it. Um, like in well, the when st- she received it, uh-huh. when she received well, it. Well, because she was uh, she was like a Shackley lady. I don't know if this Shackley vitamins. It's like a direct sales. I don't know if that is still a thing. It's uh-huh. like Avon. Okay, got it. Um, or oh, so she would collect money from her clients, clients of course, and it would be mostly in cash. Okay, and, and she, so she would wash it because she was superstitious. Um, yeah yeah clearly and so this sort of was something that got you into this whole genre of sort of yeah I just when I was reading you know I was I thought it was weird because I grew up in a pretty like my mom her her daughter was pretty assimilated pretty white yeah um and so she kind of was like your weird grandma who does those weird <laughs> things. I mean, she also used to do – she would keep a um, – Your grandma's nationality, though, is – She's Mexican-American. Mexican. Okay. Yeah, she was born on the in the valley. Okay. And uh, had a dish of pennies that she'd keep on a shelf up high. It has something to do with keeping money in the house or okay. not losing money. So these little things. But then, you know, my mom thought that was just ridiculous. So I, for a while, thought it was – Grew, grew up thinking it was really ridiculous and then started reading in these stories, Mexican-American culture or um, uh, Latin American novels where you have families with these 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 things that they do. And these traditions. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I get it. Uh-huh. Like, and, and so I felt like I could use the experience yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what year did A Fierce and Subtle Poison – come out was that 2014 2016 oh it was 2016 okay and the cover one of the things I did want to talk about because I remember when it came out and I saw the cover and I was this is a beautiful cover I'm trying to think of how to describe it to everyone but it's like Henson Palm wall covering that is also which I think everyone listening would know um but then it's also like kind of eerie it's got these spiky things on it and bright colors and to me, I look at it and I'm like, I want to read that. Or I wonder if it's a picture book. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I open it. And then what's interesting is the words are larger and spaced farther apart than a novel that I would read. And that's because this is a young adult book. So how did that happen? Like, and I, I know when you talk about this cover, but how do, tell me about writing for young adults versus writing for adults. Hmm. I'm kind of stealing this from a friend of mine who I feel like articulated it really well but I I I write with the the mindset that my books have young people in them okay but are not specifically targeted for them Uh my my publisher would like completely hate that I'm saying that (laughs) um edit edit (laughs) (laughs) so the reason why I say that is because there are some expectations from parents and librarians that books for young people have to sort of morally upstanding. Okay. They have, a, have to have a moral agenda-ish. Or it just has to – it just has to – the characters – it helps if they're likable. Uh-huh. Um, it helps if they're relatable. And it helps if they are empowering. And do you feel like that's something that you strive for in your characters? Or do you feel like you have to because of this genre that you're in? I feel like I have a publisher who lets me do what I would like to do. Uh I feel like what I am trying to do is capture the true experience of being a, a young person. And that's the most important thing to me. Rather than saying, oh, this angry young woman. Like the second book, All the Wind in the World, has a very upset protagonist. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of 
novels for young people would say, okay, she here is this sad girl. She finds a group of friends, learns to accept who she is, and isn't that nice. Yeah. Right? And so um, that is nice, and I'm sure that does happen, but I also want to have books where people get to be justifiably angry and sad and it's not something that you should fix it's just something that I mean I think that like when I was a young person I didn't read novels like this because there I mean I'm sure there were there was like Anne of Green Gables and you know Judy Bloom but I listened to you know punk rock music and a lot of women artists at the time defiant defiant and and kind of like dressed strangely and angry and you know yeah and I was like cool this is really speaking to me because Uh I'm an angry young person and there's a lot to be upset about I mean and I'm not trying to be facetious because like when you're a young woman you feel misunderstood and you are misunderstood yes um and so isn't it just nice if somebody is there to make you feel validated yeah so there's a defiance to the characters yes Yeah. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I like that though. But in a way, isn't that kind of timely? Isn't that sort of where we are? And isn't that, to me, that feels more accepted than ever that there's a defiance behind women that, that is very timely and accepted and interesting. Yeah. I feel. Maybe. I think that young women would maybe not think Hmm. so. Hmm. Wonder. I think that a lot of, um, I don't know. Maybe it depends. It depends on their family. Like, I think that there's a lot of cultural expectations. You know, a lot of my main characters are Mexican-American. Yeah. And, you know, I do hear from a lot of my students that there's things that they can do when they can't do. Uh Absolutely. And that these characters sort of maybe help them see things that they can do. And that's okay, too. Mm -hmm. That's cool. But it's hard. Like it's not, you know, we have these, I don't, I don't like these books where like a character gets to be defiant and then everyone like sees the, sees that they were being wrong to her and mm-hmm. then it's fine now. Exactly. That's like, there's like, no, that, I mean, you can like break up friendships. You can cause rifts between yourself and your family, you know, yeah. like these, these decisions are hard. And there's are these are real things that are happening and they aren't the expected outcome. Mm-hmm. Like do you remember the movie Coco? Like the, about the the boy? It's like the, it's yes, like a Pixar of course, film. Of yes. course, yes, yes, yes. And the, so there's like a it's <laughs> gra- brilliant. Yeah, there's a little abuela character in it, right? She's like this old kind of grouchy old lady. Uh-huh. And at the end she like softens and comes around and I was like no 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 I'm like that is not true to life Mm -hmm. like that Mexican lady is would have never softened no never like she's going to (laughs) die on the whatever hill she's on (laughs) was that your grandma yes Uh so you draw inspiration from her and in your family a little bit I'm sure right the characters in your own life um, oh, for sure. Uh-huh. I mean, amplified always. Of course. My parents think that they're every every <laughs> bad parent in, in any of my books. Obviously. Any oppressive figure. Yeah. And so. What did we do to you, Sam? I know. I know. Well, what? So I thought this was an interesting conversation to have with you. You know, our, the people, sort of our target audience, like our clients and, and what we do is interior design. And so we create spaces I don't create spaces. My clients create spaces. I help them find resources to create mm-hmm. these spaces. And it and sometimes I think that the business of design gets trivialized and it becomes sort of has like a superficial and a materialistic facade that it's not meaningful. But what people that really know it know that it is one of the most meaningful things because you have to get to this really, really granular level mm-hmm. and understanding like what a space is tended to be if you're doing a great job. And I think that um, with writing a book, you it's to me, it feels more complicated. I do love writing, but it feels almost more complicated because you're creating something that they, that someone can't see with their eyes, but that they have to create in their mind. And so they have to create a a scene as they're reading the book so that they can have context to the characters and what's going on. And so like, how with words do you do that? Um, I, I, okay. So there's like a couple of ways to think about this because 
like you have a, a client with a client, right? Is that mm-hmm. kind of how it works? And that is sort of the equivalent to what I have as an audience. Uh-huh. Right? And so a lot of writers, if like, let's say that there's like a really successful writer, not me, like a really <laughs> successful writer. Will be. And so they, they, I've heard some admit that they do write with their audience in mind. They know that their audience wants character X and Y to end up together. Mm-hmm. And they're going to like kind of make it a little bit painful on the way, but they're going to do it. Sure. Um, I don't think about audience because I don't think of <laughs> – I probably should. I don't think of them as customers. Right. Even though they are – there is something transactional in them possibly buying this book, right? But I do have to think in terms of what will hook them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to play to my strengths in terms of setting. And I could write a setting forever, pages, pages. But you can't. But I know that I'm better at that uh-huh. than I am at other aspects of writing, like plot. I think uh-huh. that it's, it takes me a really long time to figure out a plot. I, that's where all my revising work goes. And so I – and I think that I am also good on the sentence level. I think that I'm good at like, crafting a sentence. Mm-hmm. What is the best – what's your favorite setting that you've ever created in a book that you personally would want to go to? Or maybe you have. Yeah. Too. I mean, I always have – my settings are based on places that I have been. Uh-huh. And um, All the Wind in the World is set in Valentine, Texas, which is between El Paso and Marfa. And I had spent – I now have a, a small child and so I don't do this anymore. But for like five years in a row, five – going a lot to Marfa. Yeah, we went every year yeah. for five years for to spend – a couple months in yeah. the summer. We stayed in the same house. And so I, I just wanted to write a Western out there, which was like a lot of people do that. But I, I said it's like slightly in the near future, but wanted to, again, capture that place. And it's cool. I think that I noticed that, that it was set in the near future versus the past. Because I think that when you think Western, you think retro, you think past. So I loved that when I read about yeah. that book, that you're writing a Western for the future. Because I, I think that there's something <laughs> apocalyptic about that part of the state. Okay. And yeah. there are um, – there's dust storms in the novel. There's dust storms. There's like a bee swarm, which there was a story about bees making their way <laughs> up to West Texas. So all of these – and burn bands, you know, mm-hmm. there's all these things that kind of seem – otherworldly or, or, you know, future apocalypse. I always try to describe also in terms of it's really easy to describe based on sight, uh-huh. right? So you'll be like, he walks into a green room. It Got was it. well lit, right. blah, blah. And then if you can, you know, not keep layering on the description, but kind of choose what a, a, a really like the right description. And that can be like a visual, it could be a smell, it could be. Um, but you want it to be transportive because you really want to keep the reader in the novel. Right. And that's my favorite books, the ones that I'm like there. But I also wonder if like people who don't know a lot about design, they also focus on visual first, right? Okay. Because like we're in a room of wall, wall coverings uh-huh. that have like way more texture than I would ever, I would ever think a wall covering would have. Fair. Right? Yeah. But you're like, no, no, this is like a whole life in this it, well, thing. Some of these have stories, yeah. <laughs> and some are more decorative. It's like anything. Yeah. Some have, you know, some people work from a place of art and, you know, def- very defined meaning. And then some people, I think, work from a more place of feeling and decoration. Yeah. And probably the writers are the same way. Yes. But I also think that, like, people who are looking for, like, a really plot-driven, like, my novels are considered character-driven, People latch on to the, the, the character and the setting and not so much the, the plot. Yeah. And and there are people who like plot-driven novels that feel that I'm like w- wordy. Yeah. They get to it. I don't think so. I've read um, the first book, Fierce and Subtle Poison, 
a while ago, but then reread bits of it over the past week and doing research. And I don't think it's wordy. I think that it's pretty. (laughs) I like the way the words flow together. I love, I also studied, as you know, journalism. So I got to love writing, Mm -hmm. but I'm not a creative writer. The Hue is brought to you by Folio. Located in the iconic Meadows building in Dallas, Texas, Folio is a boutique rep agency which seeks to connect interior designers with creative resources. We would love to connect with you in real life. Please visit our website to set up an appointment, folioco.com, and follow us on Instagram at folioco. But we skipped over the cover. So okay, I remember yeah. you and I spoke about this when this book first came out. Tell me what happens when you write a book and you have it published. What what happens like with the cover? So I don't get a, a lot of input in the cover. Okay. <laughs> I, in my contract, have a clause, and I think it's pretty standard, that says you get final cover approval, which I think is basically like they say, here is your cover. Do you love it? Yes. Um, and you are able to give some feedback to that, and they do take it into consideration. I I wanted something kind of floral and with big words. And it, this looks different than I was expecting, but it is kind of similar. It, it I looks, see floral and big words. I know. But everything looks different, I think, than this all comes back to visualization and, and it, everything always, I think, looks different than how we imagine it. Yeah. Overall, you're happy with it, though. No, yes. No, I love it. It looks – it's evocative of old um, magical realism novels. Like, it looks like certain like, covers of uh-huh. of 100 Years of Solitude. Uh-huh. Yeah. It reminds me of the guy in The Booksellers. Remember the guy that, like, walks in the woods? We, oh, and I yeah. talked about booksellers earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, love yeah. that. He loves um, sci-fi. Yes. And I just walk in the woods because there's so much the trees are telling each other. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I want to know what he thinks the trees are telling each other. Yeah. But um, this is beautiful. So how much does that play into who buys the novel? And then so that kind of leads us well then into the conversation of booksellers. But so how do young adults find the book? Are they shopping on Amazon? Are, they, are their teachers exposing them? Because I know that this visual cover plays into what they're choosing. I think that a lot of the cover has to go into like the, the original hardback co- uh, covers into marketing. So yeah. placement and ads, signs at book fairs, where someone can can see it in a sea of other pictures of book uh-huh. covers and pluck it out. I have heard that young people buy paperbacks more than hardbacks because they are cheaper. And probably easier for them to transport because yeah. they're kind of Reading in different places. Yeah. The hardbacks are in their libraries. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the hardbacks are in the bookstores. And there are – kids are going to bookstores still, we think. I don't – I think so. Yeah. I mean, I do know that when I go to – like, there's the North Texas Teen Book Festival every year in Irving – and it has something like 8,000 young people. They get bussed in. I mean, it's That's massive. Amazing. They have huge bags full of actual books. They start reading them. You see them at 11 a.m. with like half of a book fin. They're like sitting in a corner already reading the book, you know. So they read a lot. That would have been my dream. I didn't know this existed when I was a kid. Yeah. So the do you write, Do you also read your books on Audible? Like, are your books available in that way, or is because it's young adult? Like, no, the kids are going to read the book. No, they're they're there. I feel like older readers read on Audible. Uh-huh. Um, listen on Audible, yeah. <laughs> listen on Audible. Uh, but all all three of them are. And you read them? Oh no, you know, they hire someone for that. Sometimes people read their books, right? Yeah, but they have to have good voices or something. I think I would want to hear you read your book. I'm, it's weird to hear. I don't, I, I haven't, I've heard that. And then what's also interesting is that, that that all gets factored into book reviews, right? So it doesn't matter if you were listening to or read a book. And so someone like Amazon One Star narrator is very irritating, <laughs> you know? And so, so you have to have the right narrator. Yeah. Did you like your narrator? I have not listened to any of them because I, it is very strange. That would be very strange. They read very slow. Uh-huh. I think that's a typical thing. Yeah. And so you'd have to maybe speed it up. Yeah. Fair. 
So on to booksellers. You and I want to talk to you about this. Okay. This movie, because I feel like something our listeners would love to watch. Mm-hmm. And it's set in New York, and there's all these like very quintessential New York characters in it. And and they're talking about the art of the book and how the value of books. And I loved, I don't I'm trying to think what they said in the beginning, talking about acquiring books and how maybe you'll remember this a little bit better than I did, but you know, not every book has value. Right. So to be, what is it? To be rare? To be rare. It was talking about to be rare. That's it. I wrote that down somewhere. To be rare. Yeah. It has to be both scarce Scarce. and valuable. Versus just scarce. Right. Because something could be scarce and who cares because no one's looking for it. Right. Yeah. So like will a fierce and subtle poison sometime, someday be rare? Maybe the hardback. Yeah. We talked about the the hardback has an extremely, I think it's an awesome cover. It's incredible. And even the hardback. Like this is, you know, the cover, but even like the this green, this chartreuse green is with the yeah. silver on the side is beautiful. Yeah. yeah Under the jacket. It's special. It's different. I coll- collect I'm a collector of books. You know, my I um, want I wanted this one in my life the second I saw it. My um gynecologist said that she takes the dust jacket off of my books and puts it on the other books that she's reading on airplanes. And so when people ask her what she's reading, she just tells them that it is my book. I love her. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. What? I mean, she should be your PR agent. Yeah, she needs the clipboard and she. Um, <laughs> so um, I don't know. I mean, because it is not, the hardback is not available anymore. I don't think, I never got the official word that it's like out of print or something, uh-huh. but it's in a paperback that looks very different now. But it's doing well, obviously, because they put it in paperback. It's still oh, selling. Yeah. And then you did a second book and a third book. Mm-hmm. So clearly people are liking your books and your publisher likes you, which means they're selling. Yes. But, you know, it was with the pandemic, something interesting happened in that the third book released on March 24th. Oh, wow. And it had the the best press out of – it's called Tigers, Not Daughters. I was going to say we needed – Yeah. And it had the best press out of all of them yeah. so far. And and so it got a big order, meaning booksellers, bookstores bought more copies of it than they had bought of the other ones. Yeah. But then those copies are, were now returned. Yeah. Oh, geez. I know. And the bookstores didn't have a way to distribute them online? Well, yes, but I still don't think that they – I don't know. That wasn't the intention. And they didn't pivot. Yeah. Maybe they didn't pivot well enough. To me, I think that I would – Get those books online. I don't know the difference. Like I didn't. I don't know an independent bookstore like in in a, in a normal way. Like the book, the online to brick and mortar sales. Yes. What does that look really look like? Yeah. Because yeah. I think that the whole point of the bookstore is to go to the bookstore. Right. It's the experience of it. So Tigers Not Daughters. I be, intri- I don't know. It was really cool because. Like you said, one of your favorite authors wrote, you know, look out Louisa May Alcott. Like these characters are, you know, perhaps even more interesting and exciting than the, the women, little women. Than the little women. <laughs> I'm like, how could she say, I love that. I But no, that was perfect. It's an amazing review. And what was what was especially interesting that about that, though, is like then the Greta Garwig, you know, Little Women show kind of came out about the same time. Right. And, you know, every young woman is watching that show mm-hmm. and then reading your book, maybe. Maybe that would be great. I have never read Little Women. And so to get that <laughs> comparison, I was like, wow. And but did see the movie. Uh-huh. And and I understood the comparison. OK, what was what do you think is the. Oh, I mean, it's about sisters okay. who have very different goals from themselves. Mm-hmm. And those goals often clash with their other sisters. But maybe compliment too. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of have very prickly moments, but ultimately they love cohere. Each other. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing, I was like, I don't have sisters either. <laughs> yeah. But people are like, but you know. They think you uh, must have yeah, sisters to be able to write about sisters sure, yeah, so know, well. Yeah. But that's also from my mother and her sisters. It was kind of like I imagined what their childhood would be like my mother and her aunt, my aunts. Wasn't it cool though? I mean, in. The booksellers, I thought that the like the bookstores themselves were all just so like I could see your books on the shelves there. They were all so well done. 
And they were like places you wanted to go. I know. All of them. I wanted to go to all of them. I want to write them all down and go visit all of them. I mean, especially like what is the Alonso? What's the one um, on the original book row that the three sisters own? Argosy. Ar- Argosy. Yeah. What? I know. And they what brilliant businesswomen. Now they've got like a signature department upstairs and autograph department. I my first job ever was at Borders, which is again very corporate. There aren't a lot of we're in Dallas and there are not a lot of independent bookstores. No. There's we're the hub of half price books. Um but now there's Interrobang books and Wild Detectives, but they're they're for a long time it was Barnes and Noble or Borders. Borders was the cooler place. Yeah. Fair. Um, and if, I just went there and, and wanted to work there and wanted to be around books. Right? Yeah. And so I worked in the coffee shop. And one of my favorite places is I went to graduate school in Boston and it's the Bookline, Brookline Booksmith <laughs> is their local bookstore. And the reason why I did love it is because it did have a recommendations shelf. Uh-huh. And I loved the recommendations shelf. Like the bestsellers of the store. Of the kind store. Of thing. So then it's like you know that the person who's going there is probably someone whose taste you would appreciate. Yeah. It's not like the New York Times bestseller list. Right. Yeah. I get I got a little anxious of seeing all of the books in some of the people's houses because I was I was like that. And I think that you after if you've moved at least twice with a bunch of books, then you start to get rid of it's books. It's true. And you stop. You you when you you think do I really need to buy this book because I don't have a place for it? Yeah. Do you have a big collection of books? Not as much as I used because to because you've called them because of moves. Yeah, and I've done the same. And I I think about them like I'm a book person, and there are there are covers in my mind, especially from art history in college, that I'm just like, oh, how did I let you go? I yeah. Think of them and I miss them. I had this. Um, Latin professor in college and she is still a dear friend of mine but what she would two things about this what she would do was uh, at the end of every year she would take a book from her shelf and um, and she was the type of person who had the uh, ex libris stamp on the inside that from the books from the library of and you write your name in right of course and so she would take a book and give it to a student. Like she would match a book from her library to the student. I mean, what a, yeah, I know. It's like the person who can match the flower with your mood. It was just, and I think that hers to me was like a, like a, a, like a Salome, like an Oscar Wilde illustrated thing of a play he did called Salome. Did you feel like it was fitting? It was wonderful. It was perfect. She gave it to you. And then her and I, um, this was inspired by a book called Angle of Repose, which is a book by Wallace Stegner. But, and it was about, it's about a lot of things, but one is like, there's lots of letters in it back and forth between two characters. And so um, from, I think it's from like 2008 or nine, we share a journal that we mail back and forth to one another. And it is like exploded. Now, I mean, it's a hardback journal. There's like taped you, letters. You shared, you we mail it back mailed and it forth. back and forth. We still are in the process of it. I have it now. That's so cool. I know you need like someone in your life that you do this with. It's really a, it's really like now, a this very is a good tip, thing. Like for anyone listening, like especially someone that you feel like your souls sort of speak to each other, which it sounds like you do. Yeah. And then you can pick up exactly where you left off. Yes. That's super cool. It's wonderful. That's a good challenge to anyone listening. I'd like to know if anyone does that. Right. I mean, at this point it doesn't close. So you, we had to like tie a big ribbon around you it. You can't to get keep volume two. Well, it's not fin- – the pages are not full yet, and so I feel like oh, we can't geez. move to volume two yeah. until no, the you pages can't. have all been written. Yeah. But yeah. it's so smushed because, again, like we tape cards and and things that we find that are reminiscent that. of one another. Oh, pen pal. She is an amazing – okay, the other thing about her. Oh, God. So in A Fierce and Subtle Poison, there is a – also in her journal, she writes in – Peacock blue ink, and I have a character in my book who writes in her journal in peacock blue. Ink. You, yeah, you had to have that. And uh, if there's some subtle poison, like this girl who lives in, girl who's full of poison lives in a house that's like similar to houses, a lot of houses in San Juan where it's, you can't see it. You see a wall and there's a uh-huh. courtyard right yes. in the house is inside. Yeah. And there's 
rumors about this house and like a witch lives in this house and she's a witch who grants wishes. And so people toss notes over her wall. Okay. Like a kind of a wishing well thing. Wishes. Okay. Got it. And she's a good witch. I know. And when I was at my, she came, this woman came to my, the same book launch that you went to. And when I was like packing up all of my stuff, she had left like a piece of paper. Like she left, she, she left a wish like in a little bag. And I was like, I love her. What an amazing human. I know. She's very she's one of the last like very well, obviously not where I'm sitting, very tactile people that I know. Uh-huh. You know, likes paper and uh-huh. correspondence and absolutely. It's so one thing that um that I love, I think that one of the coolest things that we have are the stories that we share and the stories that we have and that we are. So what would you say? I I look at you in admiration because I look at any woman who's a contemporary of mine, who's following her dreams and living her dreams, whatever those may be is, as as beautiful. Like I, that is the ultimate existence to me. It is. You're living your life and your dreams and you're doing it, what it is that you're passionate about and that you love. So I, I like to ask it, what, how, did you get, how do you get to that space? And like, what would you say to someone who's wanting to get there, but maybe they're scared I, and not just like get over your fear. I mean, is it, how do you really live in that space? I mean, there part of it has to do with living in the space. So young people ask us this a lot, a similar question at panels and things I've got all these stories and I want to write them, but I can't write them. How do I write them? And, you know, at this point, it's it's work. It's work. You treat it like work. Um, Make it a nine to five. And you treat it like <laughs> selfish work. Mm-hmm. And you are selfish about your time. Um, I don't suggest this for everyone. I wake up at 430 in the morning and write until my son gets up at well, he got up at 5.30 this morning. <laughs> but, uh, you know, ideally like minutes. 6.30 to 7 sure. or something. Um, I, so I sacrifice being up at night because I'm awake so early. And I, I, I mean, I treat it like how can I do better? Practicing. Yes, but Doing. always really, really, really reading a lot and trying to achieve a standard that I have and it's not a hobby but you do love it I do even though it's work yes well I love it when it works yeah fair sometimes it does not work and I don't love it but I also love the fact that I'm working on it yeah because I I don't and how rewarding when it does get there yeah you have to feel it and know it when it does Mm -hmm. and but I've also had an amount of success. You know, my second novel was nominated for a National Book Award, which is like the, the Oscars. Of What's the second book, say again? All the Wind in the World. Uh, and, and so, the, I mean, it's the National Book Foundation calls it the Oscars of the book world. And so that was really validating, mm-hmm. clearly. And so I can, I, at this point, I can work from a place of I, I, I'm, I'm doing okay. Yes. You know, I, I am okay. You have the skills. Right. But then <laughs> I, you know, I'm trying to write another book now and it's back to how do you even, what, well, how do you write a chapter after the chapter? Like how, what is, what, how, what is writing? Mm-hmm. Um, and you yeah. said, you said about going to this place in West Texas for inspirations in the summers. And now you've written a book because of this place of inspiration. Mm-hmm. So where else are you going to go for inspiration? What's on the horizon? What do you see for the future? I still think that I want to write about Texas or the West. I, I would like to write, I'm trying to write like a true Western but it also takes place. I also I have a I have a house in Mineral Wells, and so are the women irreverent in the Western. Well, one, I really like. I'm trying to work with a. I'm trying to do. I'm trying to write like a like a, like a fun book, <laughs> because like oh, how little fun. Sam. I know, like the romance works at the end. I don't yeah. know if it'll happen, right? But um, I, I I've always wanted to write a getting the gang back together kind of <laughs> book, which is like is fun. And uh, but I have a really a broken main character 
right? Uh-huh. So she is trying to sort of fix herself. Okay. Aren't we all? I know. <laughs> Hopefully. But yes, I like to look at places and clearly Westerns have been written, but I do like to always think in terms of how can I, how can I reframe these stories I, I really love? And I try to think pretty big, like all the wind in the world is, is kind of, it was hugely inspired by a film called Days of Heaven, which is a beautiful film by Terrence Malick. It's his second film. Writing that down, Days of Heaven. It's like wonderful. Um, and again, clearly I was like, let's just like write, I'll just rewrite Days of Heaven. You're like, I'll just do a little mm, thing on that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think about movies like The Searchers, like John Ford Westerns by uh, with John Wayne. I mean, stories that I like that I think you know, are not, they're, they're, they're lovely for what they were. And I appreciate them. But if we're going to write Westerns and we need to do, do things contemporary with them. And so I'm always trying to think in terms of what hasn't been done and how can I, how can I take what I love and that is tried and true and good. Yes. And put something new on it. Yes. And that's clearly important. Yes. Uh, And Terabang is so cool. And they're recovered from their tornado damage, and you've done a signing there. No, I it was canceled, and so I oh, haven't geez. done a signing there. I it was scheduled get, for you, March please 31st. Please let me know when it is. I don't know. Never. Oh, I don't want it to happen. I know. I do. And it will be Tigers. Do, I mean, it's still okay. We could still do a Tigers, Not Daughters book signing. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. I'm going to read Tigers, Not Daughters. Yeah. I feel like I need to send it to you and have you sign it, and then you can mail it to me. I'll send you oh, like an addressed envelope. I can just give you this one that I, and I then brought. One. I'll buy one and send it to you. How about that? Oh, yeah. Mail. Yes. Mail it, it to like you. It. Yeah, that's actually a perfect <laughs> plan. I really do want to read this one. I love this whole concept. Little Women is one of my favorite books. I have a sister, as you know. You know my sister mm-hmm. well. And so I love books about sisters. And I'm excited to to check it out for sure. Yeah. And it is, uh, to speak about covers, it's beautifully illustrated. Uh, yeah. The orange, it's fiery. And maybe it'll have a resurgence this fall because to me this feels very, this cover feels very fall. Oh, good. Don't you see that? Yeah. Like the auburn and orange and mm-hmm. the, the almost like dried leaves at yeah. the bottom. And then there's the black background. And the, yeah, the illustrator is from Spain. Her name is Beatrice Ramo. And they she showed me did. some of her like other stuff. I mean, on Instagram. So I was like, oh my God. Beatrice Ramo. Beatrice oh, that, Ramo. Let's say that again. Beatrice Ramo. Beatrice so. Ramo. She goes by. Um, so we can check her out. She. Naranjali Dodd. Wow. Is her kind of. Hey, that's cool to know because um, I think something about interior designers is they're always looking for inspiration from different sources that aren't typical because it can sort of like draw a space differently. So that's cool to know, to think about illustrators. She's not a cover designer. You know, I don't know what exactly she gets hired to do. Hmm. Um, She's an illustrator. She's an illustrator. But illustrators. But she has a very specific look look. of her work. Oh, hold that up again. Yeah. And then the girl, wow, she looks um, intense, the girl on the cover. Yeah, and she actually, the illustrator, like, illustrated her based on what she's, how she's described in the novel. Wow. I mean. You think she did a good job? Yes. And then for, (laughs) I mean, like, for marketing purposes, I brought this just so Jess could see it in the studio. Um, you you get these little paperback copies, review copies, and they put this little cover and, on it. Okay, that comes with the book when you order it. No, this oh. would come with review copies if you were like a librarian from before. Fair. Like it's like marketing. I got it. Swag kind of yeah. stuff. But then like it's all the all four of the sisters. And that is so cool because I do kind of see like there. What's cool about this? Um, I might I'm gonna try to figure out a way to put this on the website. Because what's cool is that the women, these young girls, they look kind of old timey and then also really fresh and not. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Do you see that at all? Yeah. Something about their, I don't know, their look is classic, but then it's also edgy. It's just like kind of perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. I love that it is the character for you. I feel like that'd be the hardest thing in the world to create a character and then someone draw the character and it doesn't feel like the person. That would suck. I mean, I couldn't even believe. I mean, I don't have a real picture of like their faces in there. Even if I describe them, 
Okay, that's kind of weird to me. But to that s- you write a whole book about these women, you don't have their face in your mind. That's no. crazy. I kind of have their like. No, I'm trying to like close my eyes and think like their figure, you okay. know, like just kind of like their form. Yeah. Huh. Well, this has been fun. Yeah, thank you. I'm so proud of you. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you for coming Sometimes on the Sometimes I don't feel very proud of myself. Like in the day-to-day work, you're like. Yeah, it's all of us. A, yeah. The day-to-days can be mundane, but I think that we have to take a moment to pause and look at what we've done and be proud of it. Yeah. And to share it with others and talk about it. Sure. Are you still teaching yoga? No. Don't want to? No. You're done with that. Yeah, I'm not very, um, when we're talking earlier about playing to your strengths, like I'm not very yogi. I like you as a yoga teacher. I know you because do. Because you're not yogi. Yes, I do remember like one of the first classes, I we talked about this before, I just like went up to you and was like, you have tight legs, bend your knees. Yeah. And you were like, thank you for your, for your honest assessment yeah I did I really say that no but you did later yeah I was like like, thanks for just being real with me yeah I I, I don't (laughs) like that yoga language like anytime I go to yoga class that's probably what I loved about yoga sport was the the the, the, everyone talked in a very real way but it's like hi take a deep breath I'm like oh my gosh I can't sit in this class I know because you are not normal that's why I think that no one would hire me anymore like my my (laughs) the thing that I hate the most about yoga class is when someone says this is your time. Just do whatever you want. If you feel like doing what? this, I'm like, no, just tell me what to do. Like, that's why I came to yoga. I'm trying to be taught here. I love your yoga class. Yeah. For <laughs> those of you, like Sam's yoga classes are hysterical. That's very true. She's very like, okay, put your leg out. Yes. <laughs> you're but, doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing it. Well, thank you. Is there anything else? No. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad that we were finding connections across what we do I think it's important to find normalization oh okay in life right now that's that's a word for me right now like normal. some normally normal say here and there it feels good as yeah. much as I think I don't live life in routine and in a lot of normalcy like there are things that are normal like interaction with other humans that I crave and need and yeah I mean I talk about books a lot and was scheduled to talk about books a lot I bet and just did not talk about books at all and instead talk about Elmo. Yeah, you are a mom now. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about Elmo, man. Lots of that. Lots of that. <laughs> well, I hope that everyone listening will check these out, especially the newest one. And and if um, if you end up doing the book signing, we'll put it on Instagram because I actually have a lot of girlfriends who I told them about the book signing sites and invited them. And so I'll make sure that you know, we'll keep an eye on it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening, y'all. Let's keep the conversation going. If you have a story you would like for us to illuminate, please email hello at folioco.com. That's hello at p-h-o-l-i-o-c-o.com. And be sure to subscribe to hear future episodes.